remorse, 
involved. Um, yeah, we, you know, we can easily say we're just going to leave toxic relationships behind, but, you know, sometimes we love those people in those toxic relationships we may have had. You know, things are complicated. It's not always black and white. Or maybe a loved one passed away or something didn't manifest the way you wanted it to and you feel like the opportunity or the potential slipped through your fingers. So this is a a challenging time. You know, everybody's saying, oh, be happy, be joyous, bye, bye, bye. You know, B-U-Y, B-U-Y, B-U-Y. You know, have fun, go to parties, but um, it's just not that simple, is it? So anyway, I think we have to look for things to uplift ourselves wherever we can. And I think as, um, as much as we are able, we also have to sit, um, sit with the grief and uh, become uh, okay with it. You know, look at stuff maybe that's hard to look at. Um, You know, it's just the way it is. That is the only way we grow and evolve. And um, I think Goddess wants us to grow and evolve and become the best version of ourselves that we can be. And uh, each new year we get the opportunity to reinvent ourselves, uh, to become more... uh, you know, grow more toward that perfection we maybe aspire to or maybe not perfection but um, a better version of ourself. Um, And, uh, you know, it's about rebirth. It's about uh, rejuvenation. Uh, It's it's about starting anew, starting fresh. Uh, Is it any wonder that we have uh, resolutions this time of year? And you'll maybe hear me say it later, but um, I just love the idea that this is, you know, we're moving into the time of Bridget, the Celtic goddess, and she was also the saint. And Bridget has her sacred waters, but she's also a fire goddess. And what do you get when you mix that fire and that water? Well, you know what? That's combustion. Uh, That's locomotion. That's steam. And... um, You know, I think it makes sense that this is when we maybe put our plans in motion for the coming year. We we, uh, try our best to commit to these resolutions using that steam of Bridget. So anyway, uh, I'm going to share an assortment of things uh, that came my way. A friend sent me, and uh, I thought it might be lovely to share with you uh, before I actually talk about sun goddesses and light as life. Uh, so I hope you'll sit back and, um, you know, be comfortable and just, uh, you know, take it in. Keep doing whatever you're doing. Maybe you're washing the dishes, having a cup of coffee, a glass of wine, folding the clothes, whatever you're doing. Uh, I just thank you for uh, choosing me to be with you, uh, for trusting me uh, with my thoughts and ideas and uh, what I think is worthwhile. Uh, Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know there's... Lots of other shows out there you could tune into. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you, especially if you're a regular listener. So uh, this first uh, piece I want to share with you is by uh, Susan Cooper. It's called The Shortest Day. 
So the shortest day came and the year died. And everywhere down the centuries of the snow white world came people singing, dancing, to drive the dark away. They lighted candles in the winter trees. They hung their homes with evergreen. They burned beseeching fires all night long to keep the year alive. And when the new year's sunshine blazed awake, they shouted, reveling. Through all the frosty ages, you can hear them echoing behind us. Just listen. All the long echoes sing the same delight this shortest day. As promise wakens in the sleeping land, they carol, feast, give thanks, and dearly love their friends and hope for peace. And so do we here now, this year and every year. Welcome, Yule. And that was, again, by Susan Cooper in called The Shortest Day. Uh, now, this is by the late Patricia Monahan. She was a foremother and wisdom shower, and I uh, was lucky enough years ago to uh, actually interview her here on the show before she passed. You can find her in the archives. Um, she wrote this. When winter comes to a woman's soul, she withdraws into her inner self, her deepest spaces. She refuses all connection, refutes all arguments that she should engage in the world. She may say she is resting, but she is more than resting. She is creating a new universe within herself examining and breaking old patterns, destroying what should not be revived, feeding in secret what needs to thrive. Winter women are those who bring into the next cycle what should be saved. They are the deep conservators of knowledge and power. Not for nothing did ancient peoples honor the grandmother in her calm deliberateness, she winters over truth. She freezes out false-heartedness. Look into her eyes, this winter woman. In their gray spaciousness, you can see the future. Look out of your own winter eyes. You, too, can see the future. That was Patricia Monahan. And um, this final uh, shorty, you know, I wanted to share. This one is by Anne Franklin, and uh, it's called 12 Days of Yules, uh, 12 Days Out of Time. And I found this interesting. A lot of this was new to me, and I believe it comes from her book uh, titled Yule History Lore and Celebration. Uh, published, I think, by Lear Books, L-E-A-R, quite a while ago, actually. So, the words of Anne Franklin, she says, The twelve days of Yule are the most dangerous and uncanny days of the year. They exist outside of normal time and do not belong 
choose the year proper. Time is in suspension. Finnish shamans call this period the dreaming or God's trance hour. Many of the ancient beliefs and customs surrounding the 12 days remain to this day. They are a time of danger, the eerie, and the supernatural, haunted by spirits which might punish or reward. The wild hunt rides out to collect souls, and in Iceland the wild hunt is called the Yule Host. The strangeness of these days is reflected in many of their other names. The Balkans call it the unbaptized days. The Slovenian call it the wolf nights. The Germanic, the raw nights. The Bulgarian, the heathen days or dirty days when demons attack the world tree. The ancient Egyptians, Mesopotamians, and Teutons, among others, all had a 12-day festival around the winter solstice. The idea was adopted by Christianity in the 4th century because the Christian writers said it took the wise men 12 days to find Jesus. The 12 days start on Boxing Day because Christmas Day was a holy day. So Boxing Day is the 26th. The son reborn at the winter solstice is a weakling babe, and for 12 days all is still uncertain. Only at their conclusion does the son gain enough power to turn the tide and send the winter spirits back to the underworld. Epiphany on January 6th brings an end to the Christmas period. Epiphany means revelation as in the manifestation of a god. We were just talking about epiphany goddesses a couple weeks ago, weren't we? Guadalupe, Artemis, Tononzine, Our Lady. Anyway, back to this, the 12 days. The 12 days represent the 12 signs of the zodiac the sun must pass through during the 12 months of the coming year. And many omens were taken from them. In England, it was said that the weather on the first day would reflect the weather in January, the weather on the second day, the weather in February, and so on. In Brittany, it is supposed that the wind which prevails on the first 12 days of the year will blow during each of the 12 months, the first day corresponding to January, the second to February, and so on. That's interesting, and I wonder if Anna was actually from the UK. All right. Um, well, let's get into the sun goddesses and the light as life. So if you're not new to goddess or earth-based, earth-based spirituality, you uh, no doubt know or have been hearing for some weeks about the winter solstice and the returning of the light. We've heard that our northern European ancestors called the solstice Mother's Night, when the female ancestors and goddess were celebrated and guidance was sought. We know it's the time to celebrate the Roman god Saturn, as well as Mithras and Jesus. We tell tales of the Yuletide goddesses like Euchia, 
or Lucia and Holda, that the Druids celebrated their festival of liberation, a time when the soul was set free to dream a new world. Returning of the light from winter solstice forward for a time is not just about whether we see more darkness or light in the sky, but understand the light actually symbolizes the potential for life and new beginnings, for change, evolution, and for the conception of new ideas and plans, the theme of today's message. That said, for a new perspective on the season, let me share with you a little story. I don't think it's so much play at this time of year. It's about a goddess that, um, you know, isn't always talked about around this time. It's the sun goddess Amaterasu, a Shinto goddess whose sacred sites are on the island of Japan. You might have seen her sacred symbol, the sun, hiding in plain sight on the Japanese national flag. Interesting, despite being on the other end of the world from the Mediterranean region, Amaterasu's myth shares similarities with the Greek goddess Demeter and her counterpart, the body and unrestrained Baobo, which seems a curiosity in itself. You see, like Demeter in her sorrow, Amaterasu too withdrew from the world, causing the land to become barren and bleak as she secluded herself in a cave. No amount of coaxing could get Amaterasu to come out and bring back the sun. So flowers and vegetation might flourish on the land. Until, like in the story of Demeter and Baobo, Amaterasu was also coaxed out of her cave, out of hiding, and her despair, her curiosity aroused by the laughter and clapping inspired by someone called Uzumi and her dance. But this just wasn't any dance. You see Uzumi like Baobo, just like the attendees go into a ritual of the Egyptian goddess Bast, Uzumi was joyously dancing and lifting her skirt. A nice way of saying Uzumi was showing her genitals or yoni. Why, you might ask? Well, first, remember in those days the mores were not like ours. There was no shame in erotica or sexuality. And on the exoteric or mundane level, it must have seemed funny to watch someone dance an exotic dance or striptease, if you will. It reminded me of a movie, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I can't forget the woman popping the woman who was popping ping pong balls from her yoni. If you could put aside your shock, it was quite funny. But these stories of the dances of Baobo and Uzumi are not meant to be lewd. They might not even are meant to be funny. They're in fact meant to be sacred. They're from a time when procreation and sexual union were still considered sacred and natural. This is when they were making those sacred statues highlighting the pubic triangle that part of the woman's body known to be the gateway or threshold for for new life until Christianity turned what was normal and natural and sacred on its head. A woman was sacred for her ability to bring forth life. Baobo and Uzumi's yoni dances were the catalyst that marked new life. How? Well, 
with both Demeter and Amaterasu, upon seeing the dance, they came out of their despair and came alive. The dance brought them such joy, sparked that life force within. So the green growing things, vegetation, sprang forth once more and humanity could once again eat, sustain itself. Humankind could live. The light was life. And the story of Amaterasu is said, as she peeks her face out of the cave to look upon Uzumi's dance, she laughed and caught sight of her own image in a bronze mirror. Dazzled by her own radiance, light and fertility was restored to the world. Perhaps it is showing that the goddess reflects life. She is synonymous as the life-giving yoni. Some scholars believe this myth also reflects the regenerative, regenerative force, regenerative force, the power and awe inspired by the yoni across cultures as a catalyst for creation, change, healing, or protection. Let us not forget also that women as life givers were associated with goddess herself. Life sprang forth from our bodies and we bled without dying. Simply put, without the yonis in these stories, in fact, without the yonis in our stories, life ceases to exist. goes without saying. Specific to the sun goddess Amaterasu's story and in many other traditions as well as in science and nature, let us not forget there is usually no life without life. Sorry, there is no life without light. That brings us back to this season that we are in, the season of the returning of the light. The days and nights will soon be of equal length as the days continue to build in length and the nights shorten until the summer solstice in June. Metaphorically, we too are coming out of our caves. We have been in the potent darkness, regenerating, charging our batteries, conceiving, thinking, planning, gathering our energy, our ideas, and our strategies for 2024. And soon it will be time to unleash those plans with the coming light. We are building momentum to gather light, to do things, to manifest in the world. Like Amaterasu, we will facilitate the growth of our new selves, our life's journey in the coming year. If we're in sync with the cosmic forces, this is the time for our own awakening and transformation, our evolution as people and spiritual beings. Each turning of the wheel at this time of the year enables us to renew ourselves be who we always hoped we'd be and hopefully see things more clearly as we grow in wisdom. Reinvent ourselves even, if you will. The light helps us see the world more clearly and ourselves and our part in it. It shines forth offering illumination that might give us clues to our destiny and purpose in life. This is the time that we take the ideas and seeds we planted in the dark, fertile ground of winter and we nurture them to burst forth in the world. 
So with all that explained, can we see why this time of year is the time when we make resolutions, that that tradition is based on actual cosmic and spiritual laws? Let us use this time, these coming weeks and months, to fill our vessel with the light, with potential, with life, with accomplishments and positive change. Think, too, about the goddess Bridget, who we will soon be embracing in the next few weeks. As I said earlier, she is both fire goddess and goddess of the healing waters. What do you get when you mix heat and water? Steam. And what's steam? Steam is a force that propels you forward. Think, too, of Bridget's steam as a catalyst around this time of year that helps us renew ourselves, transform, and succeed in the resolutions we make. You see how the goddesses give us role models to empower ourselves and be the best that we can be. Also, to remember our thoughts are powerful and potent. They are our will, and as we will it, so shall it be. If we will it with enough intention and focus, we must be the change we want to see in the world. Cliché, as that might sound, we must resolve to live our lives according to how we would like to see society change, and so it will be. So as we look within and outside ourselves, let us be filled with the certainty that the light will shine forth in the coming months, providing transparency, healing, balance, and enlightenment to humanity. Let us be filled with the certainty we can manifest the world we want to live in. Remember, you have the energy of these months leading up to summer solstice to see your resolutions through. Burn away on your altar the things that no longer serve you and bring forth the change you want to see in your life. And here are a few suggestions to help you accomplish those goals. Number one, put some thought into your resolution. Give it real consideration rather than choosing impulsively. Number two, Make your resolutions realistic rather than impossible to obtain. Three, make your goals specific. Instead of just saying you want to lose weight, say I want to lose 25 pounds. And set a timetable. The difference between a goal and a dream is the goal is a dream with a deadline. Make an action plan. Know how you're going to accomplish your resolution. Find resources to help you educate yourself on the skills and techniques you might need to accomplish your resolution. Number seven, have tenacity and focus. Remind yourself every day of your promise to yourself. Number eight, don't give up. If your goal is losing weight and you splurge one day, don't beat yourself up and quit. Just get back on track the next day. Number nine, having a partner is helpful if you have a buddy who has a similar goal. Work as a team of mutual support. Number ten, reward yourself when you succeed. Think of how you might pamper yourself for your success. Number eleven, have 
science on your side. According to neuroscience research, spreading resolutions out over time is the best approach. It makes no sense to try to quit smoking and lose weight at the same time or to clean the apartment and, and give up wine in the same month. Instead, respect the feebleness of self-control. Spread out your resolutions over the entire year because human routines are stubborn things to change. It seems our prefrontal, our prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain responsible for willpower, is very overtaxed already with day-to-day -day living chores. So give it a break and don't try to add too much change all at once. So your brain will give in to temptation and you'll fall back into those old habits. And that was from... New Year's Resolution, 10 Keys for Success by Dale Berry. He's a results coach. So as we go forward, as we look at the beauty of ourselves and our mirrors each day, let us remember our power to manifest an abundant world of good things. Let us see our own evolution, and let us be the activists for revolution of our world. Let us burn away in our cauldrons, whether metaphorically or literally, that which no longer serves us and holds us back. And don't forget to fill the void with what you want to manifest. And finally, it is important to reiterate our thoughts are powerful tools of manifestation. So nurture your attitude and thoughts with love. Let us ride this roller coaster of a paradigm shift, not with white knuckled in fear, but fearlessly resolute to be filled with hope and excitement for the new world that we can create together. So, I hope you like that. And um, let's see, I think I'm going to go ahead and let you hear that whole song right now by Celia called Bringing in the Light. And I'll be back in a minute to tell you about reindeers. Yeah, bringing in the light, been in the darkness for too long. Yeah, bringing in the light, bringing in the light by the way of the song. It's the love I give, turns to happiness. Bringing in the joy, bringing in the light, bringing in the I'm dropping the worry, I'm dropping the shame, I'm dropping the guilt, I'm dropping the blame, I'm dropping the walls, I'm dropping the windows, dropping the doors. I'm dropping who's wrong, I'm dropping who's right, I'm dropping my put 'em up and fight, I'm dropping the roof, I'm dropping the porch, I'm dropping the floors. And I'm bringing in the light. I'm dropping the plot, I'm dropping the twist me up in knots I'm dropping the past, prevailing over what's in store I'm dropping the scarcity of enough I'm dropping that constellated stuff I'm dropping the points, I'm dropping the game, I'm dropping the score 
in the light. So um, I ran across a great article today that was uh, so impressive. I posted it on my Facebook pages. I would encourage you to go there uh, because I am probably not going to be able to share the whole article. Uh, But it was copied, uh, uh, this is from uh, the website gathervictoria.com in this particular column, episode, if you will, uh, is dated uh, December 15th of 2017, and it's called Doe a Deer, a Female Deer, uh, the Spirit of Mother Christmas. And I'm going to share that with you uh, in just a second here. Uh, Hang tight with me, but first, uh, a word from Joe Carson. Let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is Drusilla Pettibone on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was very beautiful, and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast, and with so many layers. I am also pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com.
you, Joe Parson, for supporting the show. So, uh, as I said, I wanted to share this great article with you, uh, Doe a Deer, a Female Reindeer, the Spirit of Winter Solstice uh, at the site uh, Gather Victoria. And please go look at it. Uh, you can find a direct link to it on my Karen Tate author or Karen Tate uh, Facebook pages because there are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful pictures that accompany uh, what I'm going to share with you in the article so you can actually look at what I'm telling you here. So uh, this is how the article goes. Um, Long before Santa charioted his flying steeds across our mythical skies, it was the female reindeer who drew the sleigh of the sun goddess at winter solstice. It was when we Christianized the pagan traditions of winter that the white-bearded man, i.e. Father Christmas, was born. Today it is her beloved image that adorns Christmas cards and Yule decorations, not Rudolph, because unlike the male reindeer who sheds his antlers in winter, it is the doe who retains her antlers, and it is she who leads the herds in winter. So this season, when we gather by the fire to tell children bedtime stories of Santa and his flying reindeer, why not tell the story of the ancient dear mother of old? It was she who once flew through winter's longest, darkest nights with the life-giving light of the sun in her horns. Ever since the early Neolithic, when the earth was much colder and reindeer more widespread, the female reindeer was venerated by northern people. She was the life-giving mother, the leader of the herds upon which they depended for survival, and they followed the reindeer migrations for milk, food, clothing, and shelter. And from the British Isles, Scandinavia, Russia, Siberia, across the land bridge of the Bering Strait, she was a revered spiritual figure associated with fertility, motherhood, regeneration, and the rebirth of the sun, which is the theme of winter solstice. Her antlers adorned shrines and altars were buried in ceremonial graves and were worn as shamanic headdresses. Her image was etched in standing stones, woven into ceremonial cloth and clothing, cast in jewelry, painted on drums, and tattooed on skin. The reindeer was often shown leaping or flying through the air with its neck outstretched and legs flung out fore and aft. Her antlers were frequently depicted as the tree of life, carrying birds, the sun, moon, and stars. And across the northern world, it was the dear mother who took flight from the dark of the old year to bring light and life to the new. For the Sami people, the indigenous folks of northern countries, Bevi, B-E-A-I-V-I, is the name for the sun goddess associated with motherhood, the fertility of plants, and the reindeer. At winter solstice, warm butter, a symbol of the sun, was smeared on doorposts as a sacrifice to Bevi so that she could gain strength and fly higher and higher into the sky. Bevi was often shown accompanied by her daughter in an enclosure of reindeer antlers, and together they returned green and fertility to the land. Many winter goddesses in northern legends were associated with the solstice. They took to the skies led by a bevy of flying animals. 
One tells of the return of Saul, S-A-U-L-E, the Lithuanian and Latvian goddess of the sun. She flew across the heavens in a sleigh pulled by horned reindeer and threw pebbles of amber, symbolizing the sun, into chimneys. Mary B. Kelly's book, Goddess Embroideries of Eastern Europe, explores images of the horned deer mother in the sacred textiles of women. The image of the mother goddess Rohanitsa is often shown with antlers and gives birth to deer as well as children. For her feast day in late December, most likely solstice, white iced cookies shaped like deer were given as presents or good luck tokens in red and white embroidery depicting her image were displayed. Russian kuzuli or similar cookies baked during winter celebrations, Christmas and New Year. Often called roe, these cookies were originally small three-dimensional figures, most often shaped in the form of reindeer and birds, fish, bear, flowers, stars, trees, images associated with the ancient goddesses of the land. These magical talismans brought wealth, prosperity, good fortune to the family and were also gifted to relatives, friends, neighbors, even the animals and pets. They were displayed in the home as charms to protect from evil spirits and were used for Christmas divination by girls and young men on Epiphany evenings. Kozuli, uh, today Kozuli are often defined as meaning she-goats in Russian, but in northern White Sea region where they originate, the word Kozulia means snake or curl. This is believed to refer to the spiral of life and the curling antlers of the reindeer whose twisted horns had different meanings, friendship, love, health, longevity. Sometimes the horns carry apples, birds, or depictions of the winged sun. They were traditionally colored white and pink, obtained with the juice of lingonberries or cranberries. These colors are thought to descend from Siberian legends in which reindeer took flight each winter after ingesting the hallucinogenic Amanita pascaria mushroom, the archetypal red toadstool with white spots. Shamans would join them in a vision quest by taking the mushrooms themselves. Climbing the tree of life in her horns, they would take flight like a bird into the upper realms. Other folk tales tell how shamans dressed in red suits with white spots would collect the mushrooms and then deliver them through chimneys as gifts on the winter solstice. Talk about a wild night. While many historical explorations of the pagan origins of Christmas observed the link between Santa's garb and the red and white Amanita mushroom ingesting shaman, few mention that it was the female shamans who originally wore red and white costumes trimmed with fur, horned headdresses, or felt red hats. The ceremonial clothing worn by medicine women, healers of Siberia and Lapland, was green and white with red peaked hat, curled toed boots, reindeer mittens, fur lining and trim. Sound familiar, I bet. Considering that most of the shaman in the region were originally women, it is likely that their traditional wear is the true source for Santa's costume. And it is also very likely that they were the first to take shamanic flight with the reindeer on winter's darkest night. And while these women are largely forgotten today, the Dear Mother still lives in our Christmas cards, seasonal decorations, and tales of Santa's flying reindeer. 
And while we may not recognize her, I believe some deep old part of ourselves still remains the original Mother Christmas. Some old deep part of ourselves still remembers the original Mother Christmas who brought light and new life to the world. So this solstice, take a moment to remember the forgotten winter goddesses of old and their magical reindeer. Look out from your warm, cozy home in the cold of the darkening eve and on the sacred night when the sun is reborn. Look for the dear mother flying across starry skies, carrying the tree of life in her horns. And there was a postscript to the article. Uh, The postscript is is in response to the many comments and requests the author received for sources of the above post. Many had never heard of the Dear Mother or her female shaman. Uh, Today the Internet is awash with articles examining the pagan origins of Christmas, but what is consistently overlooked is the idea that there have been many feminine sources for Yule traditions. For example, a plethora of alternative articles observed the link between Santa's red and white orb and the Siberian shaman and consistently refer to the shaman as him. Little mention is made that this ceremonial clothing was worn by the earliest shaman in northern regions who were and still are female. In fact, the leader of the Mongolian reindeer people, according to this source, is a 96-year-old shaman known as Suvan. And when it comes to the deer, well, there is much talk of the stag, but little mention of what was once an important spiritual figure to our northern ancestors, the deer mother. Much historical scholarship has assumed that many horned images found in archaic relics, ritual objects, and artwork were male. But considering the evidence for a reindeer mother goddess cult dating from the prehistoric, many scholars now suggest that some of these images may in fact be female reindeer. That early female shaman wore horned headdresses and antlers is all well documented in Miranda Green's book, Symbol and Image in Celtic Religious Art, and she states, quote, animal symbolism associated with goddesses reaches its apogee with horned female images usually adorned with antlers, unquote. Uh, Miranda Green makes the point that while the antlered guides Serunos, Karunos is well known in Eastern Gaul and is revered in many pagan circles today, there were also feminine counterparts found in many sites such as Clermont-Ferrand and uh, Bissencon. These are places in France. Sorry, I'm murdering the pronunciations. Um, This goes on a bit with more references, um, and um, it's better if you actually have the pictures. Uh, So again, I will refer you to my Facebook page where I have them uh, included there. Uh, Or if you're hearing this and uh, you can't get to my Facebook page for whatever reason, uh, go to the website gathervictoria.com and look for the article from December 15, 2017 called Doe a Deer, a Female Deer, Spirit of Mother Christmas. And you will find it. Okay, so um, that about does it for me for today. Uh, I do have another song about the light. And uh, I just have to find it here for you real quick. And uh, I don't often get a chance... uh, 
you know, to play these because, you know, they're seasonal. And I always play the one about um, to honor Sepmet, the sun goddess. Uh, but since it is this time of year, uh, I want to go ahead and take advantage of, uh, you know, the sun songs. And uh, let's see, I think it's coming up here. Just one second. Yeah, um, I have a lot of wonderful music from Reclaiming, and uh, I just love, uh, I just love their songs. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, let's see, which one should I choose? Which ones should I choose? I think I'm going to go ahead and choose "We Are the Rising Sun." So, um, dear listeners. That is all for me today. I'm going to leave you with this reclaiming song. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful holiday. And uh, I may or may not be back with you next Wednesday. I had planned to be off, uh, to take a day off. uh, But I may surprise you and come back with something else special. We'll see. Uh, But if if not, um, the second Wednesday of January, I have Elizabeth Ashley with me, and she is the author of a great book about uh, bee priestesses, the Melissae, and uh, that's what we're going to be chatting about when, uh, you know, when we return uh, for the second Wednesday in January. Uh, All right, then, so here we go uh, with the reclaiming song, We Are the Rising Sun. We are the change, we are the ones we've been waiting.